seated. You may be seated. Again, I want to thank those of you who are with us and online tonight. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we've kind of entitled uh, this lesson uh, just on, on a thought of ordinary clay jars. Ordinary clay jars. Ordinary clay pots. And you'll see why that is uh, uh, selected here when we get to those passages of Scripture where Paul uh, tonight talks about. You know, we already know from previous uh, chapters as well as 1 Corinthians that, you know, there were some distractors in Corinth that really uh, um, did not uh, come in agreement with Paul's teaching. And as a result of that, there was a lot of persecution going on. They were challenging his authority. And, um, and even his motivation was being uh, 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 questioned. And at every stop, Paul would always deflect the criticism of his abilities, but he would always try to get the focus of the Corinthians back on God and the gospel and what he had been called to do. And tonight, he kind of identifies some of the challenges, some of the struggles, some of the things he was going through, him and his team, as they tried to do what God has called them to do. And what I want you to see here tonight is that anytime you try to do what is right, try to do what's good, and uh, try to serve the Lord to the best of your abilities, there's going to always be opposition. There's going to be some people that will come in agreement with what you're trying to do, and there's going to be some people that will, you know, come against what you're trying to do. But you have to know that in that struggle, like Paul, we got to say you're going to never give up. I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to throw in the towel. And I realize that some days may be better than others, but at the end of the day, I'm going to still be in the fight, you know. And so that's why he started off here tonight and talking um, about this mindset of never give up. He says, therefore, verse 1, since God in his mercy has given us this new way. Somebody say new way. New way. He, in other words, the old way has passed, all, passed up, and now the new way of the gospel. The old way of the law is passed. Now we're under the gospel of grace. And so he says, now we got this this new way, and God in his mercy has given us a new way back to him. And that way involves salvation through Jesus Christ. We don't have to work for it, but because we are saved, we do good, do good works. But, but there's nothing we can do to earn what God has given us under this new way. And he says, so it was God's mercy that gave us this new way. And he said, because we're in this new way, the thing we must do, we never give up. Even though we know we're going to face opposition, that never give up is talking about we don't become discouraged uh, when, when tough times come. And we don't act like we're timid or afraid of this new way because we know that God has given us the ability and the strength to defend the hope that we believe in. So sometimes, yes, we have to defend what we believe. And that's why it's good for you to have a deep commitment to the things of God so that when challenges come in your life, you won't throw away your faith. Yeah, I mean, you're going you're gonna to hold on to it and never give up because becoming a Christian and accepting Jesus Christ is not a path that life is going to always be rosy. I mean, you know, he told his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. He was letting them know that, hey, when you take up this cross, it ain't going to always be easy. There's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some persecution. But if you know that going in, and you expect that, then when those things come, you rely on the power of God. And that's what he's going to show us here, that he realized that this power that he had was not his. 
And if it wasn't for the power of God, some of the things he was going through, he probably wouldn't have made them through. In other words, he would have quit. You know, and, and, and we're living in a time now where a lot of people are just quitting on God, quitting on Jesus. I mean, for whatever reason now, they're just feeling like, hey, I no longer want to stay in this fight. I no longer want to identify. I no longer want to see myself as a Christian, so I'm just going to throw in the towel. And, and, and that has happened. Now, so, so just like in the Old Testament, in old times, even in the New Testament, there are people who are falling away from the church. And not so much the church, because I don't want to look like you're falling away from the church. The bigger picture, you're falling away from Christ. And so therefore, that ought to be a concern of ours, because we don't want people to get discouraged and give up. We know that everybody is not going to always stay the course, because there were some people who stopped following Jesus. So, so we understand that some people are just going to stop. But you just got to make sure that you settled in your heart that you're never going to give up. Okay, now that's verse 1. He says, so in verse 2 he says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. Now, we got to dissect that a little bit. In order to appreciate verse 2, you got to remember what he had said at the end of chapter 3 when he said that he was not a huckster. In other words, I'm not a peddler of the gospel. I'm not here teaching this word and preaching this word just to trick people out of their money, just to take advantage of people, just to mislead people. And even today, everybody that stand up and say they represent the Lord, you know, don't necessarily present the gospel in a way where they reveal truth. Some people present the gospel in a way to manipulate people because you can use this Bible to manipulate, take advantage, and, and you know, cause people to be led astray. And so he's saying, now look, I got to let you know that we reject all shameful deeds, things that could cause us to be disgraced, things that you can come against and say, hey, we've been teaching a bad doctrine. We've been doing some things that is not right. We've been leading people astray. In other words, he's saying, Look, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. You know, when you think of an underhanded method, you know, what, what comes to your mind? You know, when you think, if someone is dealing with you in an underhanded way, what do you think is what they're doing? Your answer is your answer. So if you got a mic and you want to share. So he says now, we reject sh the shameful deeds and underhanded methods. Anybody? Un Okay, so, so something that a person is not honest, go ahead. When they promise you, like a, they brought down, they promise you uh, they, they hold the reward, and they put in the reward out to everybody, the different people that want their donation. Okay. They're not going to do what they wanted to do. Okay, so, 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 so Brother Patu says that sometimes people who claim that they done got water from Israel, and, and you want you to send them a $100 donation because they got this powerful healing water from Israel, it's a good possibility that that water didn't come from Israel. But if you don't know that God can heal you without you paying for a $100 little jar of water, then you will believe that and maybe even get taken advantage of. 
Now, I'm not saying that, you know, there are people go all over the world to go to different springs because they believe this underground water has some healing power. And that's because it got minerals in it. I ain't got no problem with that. But, but don't go somewhere and you know you ain't been to the spring and you just been to your local river and you done got some water and because you got an audience and you got a platform, now you can peddle that. You know, and that, that's how it's done in the secular world. A lot of times people peddle stuff just based on their name. Amen. And that's why it's so important to get certain people to endorse your product. Because if they endorse your product, they help you peddle it, whether your product is going to stop blemishes in three days or not, it don't matter. You believe that because you saw some credible person say, hey, this product is A number one. So now you buy that, in three days you still got blemishes. Because now people have twisted something. It may have some type of properties can do that, but if they know it's not going to be done in three days, and it's no better than any other product on the market, but they sell that this the best, you just get taken advantage of. And so what you got to understand, those same, same type things can happen in the church. That if you don't know the truth of God's word, people can use underhanded methods to take advantage of you. And a lot of time, all, all you got to do, and, it, it, and I, I share people all the time, all you got to do is get one or two people to do it, and everybody else will just kind of follow the suit, fall in line. But, and don't, they don't know that, hey, I'm doing this because someone has manipulated me. You know, the art of preaching, when you get beyond the, the stand true to the word of God, is just the art of persuasion. And there's a lot of things you can do to persuade people in underhanded manner. And that's why I tell people when you go to church, man, you got to study this Bible and you got to have to have the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you so you don't be taken advantage of even when you're in a worship experience. Major, go ahead. Pastor, uh, so doesn't the uh, Holy Spirit give us discernment? So is it more of who's saying it? than what they're saying? I, I think a lot of, you know, I'm going to just throw a name out there, you know, because I think this is a name that a lot of people know. So because of her notoriety and all the things she's accomplished, man, if you can get Oprah to say something about you. I mean, you can just stand on the stage next to her. You instant. Whatever you peddling, it's going to go. Because there are some people who take her word and believe that whatever she says is gospel. And ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm not knocking her for that. But what I'm trying to say is, is that sometimes everything people endorse ain't what it's built up to be. And so it's no different than, than the word of God. When we come to church, we have to try to study this word to show ourselves approved so that we don't get taken advantage of by underhanded methods. And, and so he's saying... We don't use underhanded methods. Look what he says. We don't try to trick anyone. You know, trick is just nothing but a scheme. There's, there's schemes in churches. Now, they, they, y'all, some of y'all are too young, but that was the scheme. You know, I used to call it when the, the money coming to me now. You know, y'all are too young to remember that money coming to me now. And then what you do, I say money coming to me now, and then y'all start bringing your money and laying it at my feet. 
because I can go back and find a scripture and ask and say, well, you know, they took offerings and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's scripture. They did. But it wasn't coming to me for me to keep. It was coming to the apostles so it could be spread out to help the poor. But if you don't know that and you say, man, money coming to me now and da-da-da, if you sow into me, you're going to get this, then guess what? You'll be up there dropping it down to an altar yourself. That happens. But what happens is what you see is that those methods last for a season, and you know some 10 years later, you say, whatever happened to that? I thought that was God's way. Anything that God endorsed is going to be around through eternity. But when these things are schemes and fly-by-night things, they just go around. And a lot of times, some of the same schemes that is used in marketing in the world is used in the, in the church. And so he was trying to warn these Corinthians and say, look, we, when we come, we're not going to trick you and we're not going to distort the word of God. You know, sometimes people will distort the word. Don't present it in its full truth. Present it in a way that half of it sound right, but the other half may not necessarily be all true. So when people don't know that, anything that sounds good will probably cause them to want to do what they're hearing. And so he says that he's trying to prove his case to these people that when we came and stood before you, we did not do any of these things, even though other people were saying they were doing these things. So he's defending himself in here. He says, now, we did not distort the word. We tell the truth before God. In other words, he's saying, when I stand before you, this is bigger than me standing before you. It's as if he's saying, I'm standing before God. And therefore, because I'm standing before God, even if you don't know the truth, God does. See? And, and so that's the mindset that we have to have as Christians. We got to believe that God knows. Whether anybody else knows, God knows. And so therefore, sometimes, I've said this on Sunday, sometimes when we know that God knows, it's supposed to deal with our conscience, especially if it's something that could be determined as right or wrong. And so he says, now, we tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. So it says, the people who are coming against me were honest. They will know that we are not distorting God's word just to take advantage of you. Now, the Corinthian church, though, you've been around a while, know that this was a, 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 a big church, multicultural, in a, in, a, in a district where a large metropolis, and there was a lot of, lot of trade that went through there. And so, therefore, this was a pretty wealthy church. And so, therefore, that was, they was a target for people traveling to come through and stop. You know, like a traveling missionary. Stop in, give a word, and then, therefore, if he's a huckster, He's going to be there only to take advantage of the people and keep going. And so Paul was saying he didn't want to be in that same category. He didn't want people to see him like that. That's why in one part of the, uh, or the first Corinthians, he talks about, you know, at some point he didn't even take offering from them because he didn't want nobody to use that against him, even though he could. But he said, I don't want to give you no reason to think that I'm here. I'll rely on other churches in other areas to support me while I'm here with you guys, so that y'all don't even have nothing to say to, hey, he just came here to rob us, get our money. And I don't know if y'all still watch 
Christian television now. Maybe y'all don't watch it that much no more. I don't know because they got everything on your phone now. You ain't got to have television. But just every now and then, just go out there and scan some channels on Christian television. And I guarantee you, four out of five, you won't hear Jesus at all. Very little Jesus. But at the end, they're going to always come at you for something. And I ain't got no problem. Ministry's got to be supported. But man, you ought to know who you're supporting and know what they're doing. Don't just get caught up in the fact that, oh, it sounds good on television. Because a lot of times, people will take advantage of it. And you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the days when people thought they needed to have prayer cloths. And, and Reverend Ike, y'all don't even know, y'all too young for Reverend Ike, y'all real young. But Reverend Ike, you know, Reverend Ike was good. He said, you can't lose with the stuff I use. That was his word. Reverend Ike. And, and if you want a blessing, you send me this amount of money, and I'm going to send you this prayer cloth, this miracle cloth. And he got a, yeah, he was one of those first ones. Long before the other guys got Rolls Royces, Reverend Ike had one. And, and guess what? People from all over the country, because he was on television, he was one of the first ones out there to get on television and radio nationwide, and people were sending off of them cloths, believing that they got a cloth that's going to heal them just because they got it from Reverend Ike. Now, I ain't got no problem if you just don't know no better. But if you think you got to wait on a cloth to come in the mail that may not even get there to heal you, then that means to me you think you can buy something from God instead of going to God and asking to pray yourself. If you want to support this ministry, do that. But don't be manipulated in thinking that some cloth that somebody say they done prayed over going to do more for you than what God can do for you praying for yourself. Now, they can find a scripture in the Bible when Peter was walking through town and, 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 and his apron touched somebody and that person got healed. So they can say, oh yeah, cloth, healed. But he ain't Peter. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? He, but, but if you don't know, and, and they're all out there, man. I, I don't been through them all. Back when I was just watching nothing but Christian television, man, I used to oh man, give me, God, I hope ain't nobody feeling that one. I remember one guy, you know, you know, the Bible passage say, you know, if you want to be blessed, God will open up the windows of heaven and pull you out a blessing that you can't even receive. That's in the Bible. That's scripture. Yeah. Two o'clock in the morning, you hear that, you want the blessing. And when he, when he, what he say makes sense. I want you to do this. Go around and count every window pane in your house. Now you up at two o'clock in the morning, count window panes in your house. And for every window pane, you send me $10. And God is going to pour you out a blessing that you would not have room to receive. And that's all he room to receive. I mean, I'm gonna get, I got, you know, I got 100 window panes, so I'm going to send him $1,000, and I know the blessing coming. No, you just been had. But I know people did that. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that people are still taking advantage of folks today. You just need to pay attention to who you're listening to. I don't know podcasts. I don't any social media network. Because folks can get out there now and just say stuff and don't have to know the Bible. Just know a little piece of the Bible. But everybody's so hungry for content and information that if it sounds good to the natural, then they'll forget about the spiritual ramification and the things that the Word of God say that are true. Because it can sound good. 
And, and I'm not going to lie to you, you know, back in the day when I was, I was thinking that you had to pay for your blessing, I, I done been here. You know, I don't woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and started, okay, okay, I'm going to send them a donation. I didn't hit. My number didn't come in, you know what I mean? It didn't come in. But it was a gamble. I mean, he said it. I'm believing it's going to happen, but it didn't happen. And so that opened my eyes up to say, okay, if I'm going to support your ministry, I'm going to support the work you are doing, not to support it so that I can get blessed by it. It's one thing if you, you know, you got something and you, I want to purchase a book that you don't do. That's different. But sometimes there were straight up people who were being dishonest. And so when you don't know truth, it's easy to be taken advantage. So look at this. He says, we tell you the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. He says, look, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only to those people who are perishing. In other words, he said, in other words, although the gospel is being preached and presented, everybody is not going to receive it. Some people are going to be blinded by this world and the things of this world and, 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 and they... And the, and the prince of this world, he's going to identify in a minute, that, that when they are blinded, it don't make no difference what you say to them about the gospel and the truth of God's word. I mean, they're not going to hear. And, 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 and sometimes, it takes some time. Now, the guy who's writing this letter right now, he was blinded. You know, he was a religious guy and was blinded because he was trying to destroy the church. But it, it was only after he met Jesus and had that encounter that his eyes were open. And you know, sometimes that's when the, the Bible talks about light is illuminating your mind, talking about when something comes in to reveal the truth to you that caused you to change your life and walk in another way instead of the old way. And so he said, now look, the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil. It is only hidden to people who are perished, don't want to hear it. He has said that earlier in the chapter, that to this, the gospel to some is going to be a sweet-smelling aroma, a fragrance. To others, it's going to stink. And no different. Some people will hear the word of God and receive it as a sweet-smelling aroma, something that can be a blessing. Others will hear it and say it's nonsense, foolishness, don't want to hear. And all we got to do is just, you just got to make sure which camp you're going to be in. Because the people think, God is very binary. You know, you either for me or against me. You're either light or darkness. You're either hot or cold. Don't want lukewarm. You're either hot or cold. You know, you're either a, a, a sheep or you're a goat. I mean, there's light and darkness. But what has happened is now, Everybody want to find another middle road where you can be a combination of both of them. You can't be light and darkness at the same time. They just don't exist together like that. And so therefore, when people don't know that, we try to look for some nuance in the word of God in order to walk a middle path that you're not loyal to one or the other. And so he's saying, look, at some point in time, you have to know where your loyalty lies. And if you're going to be loyal to the Lord, then you need to have your whole heart committed to him. It don't mean we never make a mistake or anything like that, but it's saying that, hey, he knows that I'm still not taking orders from the devil. I'm not going to sell him out. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stay in the fight for him. 
But, but what happens is when we don't have that level of commitment, then we get influenced by the God of this world. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, Satan is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see that glorious light of the good news. They can't understand the gospel. Look at this in verse, continue. He said, they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. In other words, when you start preaching the gospel and talking about the eternal things of his salvation, all that comes, that comes with Christ, to those people whose mind has been blinded, they only see in the here and now, and therefore when you start talking about eternal things, they don't receive that. They can't see that. So therefore, faith makes us and hope make us believe things that we have not seen. Even though they already believe stuff they haven't seen, but when you try to get them to believe a gospel that they have not seen Jesus and all that, then guess what? They have a hard time. Well, I, I just, I don't, I don't know how to believe in stuff I've never seen. Well, people tell you some stuff all the time that you ain't never seen. And we repeat it. We just assume that who told us that was accurate. I say this all the time. Your birthday, you just take it for granted they got the right day. You're just hoping that what's on your certificate is the right day. You hope, you hope. Now, nowadays they're accurate. But there was sometimes you go back and look at some of them when midwife were doing that thing. And dates was all messed up. Name misspelled wrong. You know, you calling yourself this and your birth certificate says something else. It was just messed up. But, but, but because somebody told us that we believe you was born on December the whatever, 1960, 1970, 1990, whatever, you walk around saying that because you believe that. You know, we believe historical data that we never seen. But when we say believe God's historical data, well, uh, I don't know. And, they, and right now, they are coming against history, so they're trying to make you not believe what you thought was right even in history. You know, I didn't see George cross the Delaware or cut down the cherry tree. But somebody in a book told me that George Washington crossed the Delaware and cut down a cherry tree. And so when they, somebody asked me about that, I testified just like that's real. Who's the first president, George Washington? What did he do? Cross the Delaware. Cut down a... I ain't seen none of that. And we believe it. But if I say Jesus Christ is the son of God, he came, hung, bled, and died for your sin. Well, I ain't see that. I ain't going to believe it. You ain't see George either. <laughs> so we already have the ability to believe things that we have not seen. And so God is expecting us to do that when it comes to our faith in him. Faith is, you know, faith is the substance they hope for, the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, touch it, smell it, feel it, you really don't need faith for it. You really don't need faith for a lot of things that you can touch because it's evidence already there. I tell people, man, you don't need faith and waste your faith on no car. You can see a car. All you got to do is get a job, they'll sell you a car. You ain't got to fast for 40 days. You ain't got to pray. They're giving car folk, cars to folk now who ain't even got a good credit history. 
And now you walk around the church, well, I got to believe God for a car. No, go get your job. Take your statement down there. They'll put you in something before you get off that lot. Now, I ain't got no problem with that, but you want to put your faith on. But faith is supposed to be on things you can't see. We need faith to believe that heaven is real. We need faith to believe that Jesus is real. Because we didn't see him. So we have to believe that by faith. And because of that, it makes us hope for something that we have not seen. It's always based on a future expectation. And so the reason this is important, because those of you here before, he had to spend a whole chapter trying to get them to believe in one thing. The resurrection of the dead. Because people could not wrap their mind around that and they didn't have the faith for it. And so they were walking away from the faith because they couldn't accept that fundamental truth of the gospel. So he says because of that, Satan is blinding the people of this world. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Don't, they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. So therefore, Jesus came to give us some idea of what, of what God is like. You understand? So therefore, when we understand him and we study him, then as we know more about him, we will know more about God. He came in the likeness of a man, but he was deity representing God in the earth. And so therefore, when I want to know how God would do something, I would have to go back and say, how did Jesus do it? Because however he did it, I got to believe that's how God would do it. And so when we understand that, then now that's why we devote our time to studying Jesus, studying who he is, what he did, and the things that he, did, that he taught. Because we know he was God's representative in the earth when it comes to our eternal salvation. He said, now look, you see, verse 5, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. In other words, if you go to church on Sunday and Jesus is never mentioned and you go there for three Sundays in a row and ain't nobody talking about Jesus, but it's always about somebody else or themselves, there's a good possibility you need to get out of there. Amen. Because what has happened now, preachers have become celebrities. And so when preachers come celebrities, we look for the celebrity. He was an entertainer now. We want to be entertained by him. And so therefore, he don't even introduce Jesus no more. It, it becomes all about him or her. And I ain't got no problem with preachers being popular if they've got a good word. But look, they can't steal the light from Jesus. Jesus still got to be the main guy. Not the man or woman who represent him. And so sometimes I tell people, when you listen to people over a period of time and they never mention Jesus, it's a good possibility Jesus is not the center of attraction. And he's supposed to be. Because they are preaching about themselves. He says, we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now what do, when you hear that word Lord, what does that mean? If I preach to you that Jesus Christ is Lord, what does that mean to you? Lord, what does Lord mean to you for your life? If I'm preaching to you that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, Finley, what does that mean to you? I'm just calling you. You look like you can answer that for me. I don't mean to put you on the spot because your answer is your answer. Get a mic. Got a mic for Finley? Somebody got a mic? 
Okay. Let me just say the question again, Pastor. Okay, so, so he said that, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, what does that mean to you? Jesus Christ is Lord. What does that mean to Finley? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's taking your own ownership. You know, it's kind of like what you're saying with the, the branding of the last name and how he's talking about um, with uh, being celebrity pastor. You know, they're talking a whole lot of whatever, but they ain't talking about the Lord. And Amen. so at the end of the day, the Lord's your foundation. Amen. And okay. So that, that's the way, that's the way I take it right there. Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? Gloria? He's my everything. Okay. He's my all in all. He's all I need. He's my way out of nowhere. <laughs> Amen. He's everything to me. Okay. And so now look at this. The Bible has a way of answering itself. If you just keep reading, most of the time, it'll reveal to you your relationship with your Lord. Now, let's read on. I, that's why I tell people, if you just keep reading, it'll make some things plain to you. Now, he first says, you know, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then he come back and tell us what Lordship look like. And we ourselves are servants. For Jesus' sake. In other words, now that relationship is Lord, then if I'm servant, that means Lord means he's master. He, 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 he's in charge of some things, and what he say, go. I, I'm his servant. I'm a, that's why Paul calls himself a bond servant in some chapters when he writes, or a slave to the Lord. He said, because I understand lordship means that I give him the authority to tell me what to do. But most of the time, we focus on the Savior part. Jesus Christ is my Savior. But most times, the Bible says he's Lord and Savior. Everybody wanted to save him, save him, but everybody don't want to obey him. Savior gets you back to heaven. Lordship means that we try to obey him here on earth. And so that's what Paul said. We'll serve for a say. He said, now look, for God who said, let there be light in darkness, talking about Genesis 1 now, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So in other words, God put the light of the gospel in them and he contrasts that with darkness. Again, I told you God, as you know, is very binary. You're either light or darkness. Ain't no dust. Ain't no dumb. You either light or darkness. Jesus told his disciples, you either for me or against me. But because we don't understand that, that's where a lot of time we try to walk that fine line and straddle the fence. You, all you got to do is think of things naturally. If you are a coffee drinker and you expect your coffee to be hot, you know, most people want hot coffee. There's some countries they drink cold coffee, cold brew and all that, but most, just in most people want hot coffee to wake them up, whatever. And most time when you see steam coming off coffee and you get ready to go and take a sip, you pucker your lips up, you get them right. You get them prepared. Because in your mind, you think that coffee's going to be what? So you do something with your lips to get ready, and then when you sip it, 
and it's cold or lukewarm, bam, get out of here. You, you want to spit that stuff out? You want to spit it out? Cause, cause, now he said, Jesus come to you, his lips all puckered up. Think he's going to get some hot coffee, man. And all of a sudden, he's getting this loop. He said, man, I want to spit lukewarm out. And so that's how we kind of got to look at God in that light. And I know in the time we live in, that is kind of tough. He said, now look, verse 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like, this was my main point. Got to get this. Some of your Bible just say clay pots. He says, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. So he said the gospel is a great treasure, and normally you put treasures in vaults. You put treasures in safes. And he says, now, Major, you, an ordinary clay pot. He's tying that to the fact that man was created from the dust of the earth. Dirt. God has taken dirt and put a powerful treasure on the inside of dirt. Taking the gospel and put it inside of ordinary people that are fragile, that can be broken, that is nothing more than a clay. Why would God go all that way, Major, to put this gospel inside you, man, and you just ordinary clay pot? And that's how you got to look at it, man. God has entrusted something in you that make you valuable because of what you got in you. Just an ordinary clay pot by yourself don't mean nothing. But when you put the word of God in you, then you got to see yourself like God see you. He entrusted you with something valuable. He says, now we, he put this, and he said, we see ourselves like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. It's not about me. I'm just a clay pot. Cracks, like everybody else, got cracks in it. And then every now and then the potter has to break us and put us back on the wheel again, do some things to get us right. Yeah, clay pots leak sometimes. You know, I, I was at a conference one time, and that was one of the best examples I saw on this passage, man. A lady that was teaching the conference, man, you know, she had a head behind. Then she had this, this clay pot up there, and at first, you couldn't see the cracks. So, you know, she had her sitting on the edge of our seat, you know, teaching this passage right here. And, and all of a sudden now, she go up, and we didn't see the candle on the inside at first. So when I'm sitting at a distance, I'm thinking it's just a regular pot. But then she lit the candle and then all the cracks could be seen. And she said, that's kind of how our life is, man. When the light of God get in us, all them cracks, people can see, you know, they show up, you know. And so, and so when you understand that you're an ordinary clay pot and that God has entrusted you with the gospel, then you got to see yourself like God sees you, even though you're just an ordinary clay pot, just a mound of dirt, that's going to go back to dirt. But right now, God is using you for his glory. So he don't put this treasure in us, and so we can't take credit for it, and anything that we do, we got to give him the credit. It's his power that we're using. It's his spirit that's in us that help us and lead us and guide us and help us to overcome things. Not our strength. 
He said, now look, then now he started going through some of the, the things that go through. He said in verse 8, this is where most people have remembered this verse 8 because this is a very uh, highly quoted verse, uh, uh, depending on, you know, where you come up in church, but it's, it's often used. He says, now, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. You know, some Bible say you may be pushed down, crushed, but you know, but we are not totally broken. You know, and, and, and he's talking about when you get pressed, that's kind of like talking about outside pressure. Things coming from the outside that's attacking you and crushing you and, and trying to get you to give up, trying to get you to quit. He says, now look, we are pressed on every side by troubles. Troubles come to everybody. It rains on the just and the unjust. If you live long enough, you're going to have some troubles. If you live long enough, storms going to come in your life. If you live long enough, certain things going to just happen because it's a part of life. But if you don't understand that when troubles come, then the first thing you want to do is quit. Throw in the towel. And that's what he said. We can't quit. He said, tell me, folks, look, I done been through it all for the cause of the gospel. He says, we are, we are troubled on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. We're perplexed to take place where? In your mind. He said, man, look, man, people done got into my mind. You know, I, I'm perplexed, man. I, I, I'm baffled. I, I'm puzzled by some of the things that's happening in my life. He said, look, man, this devil is trying to get to my I think the lady discovered talking about a book right now, The Battlefield of the Mind, or was talking about it. Man, the mind is the battlefield. Man, the, the devil wants your mind. That's why the Bible tells us the first thing we got to do is transform, renew our mind by changing the way we think. If we don't change the way we think, we're not going to change the way we act. And so Paul said, look, man, I'm going through. I'm a, I'm a man of God, but my mind is perplexed. I get puzzled sometimes. I can't figure out why is all this happening to me. I'm trying to do something good, and these folks trying to hang me. They're trying to run me out of town. I'm perplexed, God. What my, why is it? I thought this was going to be an easier walk. And see, the devil still wants your mind, and you can be perplexed by anything. It ain't got to be the gospel. You know, you can have some folks that can just mess with your, your mind. That's why you got to guard. You got to guard your mind. Man, if you don't guard your mind, man, stuff will get in there and, and it'll run you crazy. So that's why the Bible talks about having a sound mind. Got to think right. And he said, now this is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the Bible. He said, man, I'm perplexed. We are perplexed. But we are not driven to despair. In other words, even though I'm going through some stuff in my mind, I ain't going to give up hope. It ain't going to drive me crazy. I'm going to hold on to the truth of the gospel even though I don't understand why this is happening right now. And see, that's what we have to do because if you don't hold on to something, then it'll be easy for you to quit in the middle of the fight. And so he's saying, look, these things can happen to any of us. Any of us can be dealing with stuff in our minds right now. Because the enemy know that's where the battlefield is. If he can get us to continue thinking a certain way, then he can get us to continue acting a certain way. And so we got to guard this mind. 
And then the, the, the beauty is that God puts us in a position where we can't stop thoughts. You know, thoughts come. But he tells us what we got to do. You got to take it captive. You can't, you know, it's almost like saying, you can't stop a bird from building a nest in your head. You know what I mean? You know, he may want to come build that, but you don't have to let him stay there. You can't stop the devil from giving you a thought, but you can take it captive so you don't meditate on that thought. Because if you meditate on it long enough, you're going to start thinking about it, and as you think with this mind that has not been renewed, then this body will carry out the thought. So Paul said, look, man, I go through these things just like y'all do, all for the gospel. But I don't get to the point where I become hopeless and want to give up. He said, look, we are hunted down. This is other folk at him now, not his own stuff, but these. But we are never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. So now, if he went through far greater than what we're going to go through, then in life, we're going to go through some things. Sometimes, some things going to come in your life, catch you off guard, man, and just knock you down. But you can't allow that to cause you to give up hope. Because the Bible encourages us to hope against hope. We hope when all hope is gone. That's what we do. Because we always got that expectation that, man, as long as it's in God's hand, he can change some things. And so now, if you understand, Paul is writing this because of the challenges that he faced, and we know who he was in the Lord and how God had dealt with him. Can you imagine what the average Christian go through when these things come in their life? And they ain't got the word. They don't rely on the spirit. Man, when they get crushed, they through. They ain't coming back. They're going to walk away. And that's why what you're doing here tonight and online, studying to show yourself approved, man, so that when life hits you with something, you got something on the inside of you that won't allow you to get knocked out. Like Ali, you need to learn how to do the rope a with the devil. <laughs> Let him wear himself out. Amen. Because you know that in the end, the, the books say we win. So therefore, don't say we, we're not going to go through the fight. It just let us know we're going to win. And so you always go in like, hey, I'm fighting a fight that I know the outcome already. It's almost like if you done seen a movie at, at, from the end and you already know what's going to happen in the end. You know, when you see this guy, look like he done got shot 15 times. And you sitting there saying, oh, man. He ain't going to make it this time. Somebody who don't know, they, they sad. He got to be gone. But you ain't already seen the end. At the end, man, this dude going to be all right. So I don't care if he got shot 30 times. I already know the end. So I ain't worried about it. I'm sitting there saying, okay, I know this going to play out. He going to come back. Danzel ain't dead. Now, in the training day, he was. That hurt me right there. <laughs> it, was hard, it was hard to see Danzel die in training day because, you know, I wasn't used to seeing the man die. Like, he going to come back. And I'm looking at him saying, he going to survive that. <laughs> but he didn't. You know, he didn't. But, but what I'm trying to tell you, if you see the ending of something, it don't make no difference what the movie play out like at, in the beginning and in the middle because you already know the end. So the Bible done told us in the end we win. So it don't make me no difference. I get knocked down right now. In the end, I'm going to get up and I'm going to win. 
So my attitude is that no matter what I go through, I'm going to win. It, it may be tough right now, but at the end of the day, I'm going to win. And so that's what he was saying. Hey, look, we done seen the end of this thing, and we know how it's going to play out. He says, now look, verse 10 through 12, he says, through suffering. Now, this is a word that we don't like to talk about in the church today. Because the suffering message is not a good message to tell young people. You're going to have to go through some things for the Lord. You have to make some tough decisions sometimes. So he says, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Christ so that the life of Christ may be seen in our bodies. He says in verse 11, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Christ so that the life of Christ will be evident in our dying bodies. In other words, he says, every day you live, you get closer to dying. From the day you were born, you was on a march toward death. And every day you get closer. And so he's saying, no matter what you do to this physical body, it's dying. It ain't renewing itself, it's dying. And so as a result of that, he's saying that this physical body is going to die, but the spirit part of us is growing every day because the spirit is connected to eternity and believing that, hey, it's going to live forever. So he said we're under the constant danger of death because we serve Christ so that our life with Jesus will be evident by, in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. He said, we go through all this stuff so that you can benefit from it. He said, all this beating, all this perplexity that I'm going through, I'm going through all this so that you can look and see Christ working in me and know that that would give you hope and you could benefit to know this gospel is true. Because under normal circumstances, I would have quit. The average person would have quit. But I'm evidence that, hey, if you stay in the fight, you can win the fight. And sometimes when people continue on in, in things that look ugly, they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for somebody else. You know, I see a lot of time with parents, they do things and stay in situations, not for themselves, but they just want to be there for their children. And so sometimes that's what we have to say. And you hope that when your children look at you and see what you've gone through for them, that they're going to be better by looking at what you've gone through and see how you came back and you bounced back even though you've been knocked down. And so somebody that's close to you is always looking at you for, as an example. And your not throwing in the towel may encourage someone else not to throw in the towel. But you got to be willing to stay in the fight. So look at verse 13. He says, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said. Man, this is just simple. But I, I, when I first read that, I read it too quick. And then I had to slow down, man, and read it again. He says, now, you got to get this, but we continue to preach because we had the same kind of faith the psalmist had. And that found, this is found back in Psalms 116, probably verse 10 or something, depending on translation. Where is that? He says, and all the psalmist said was, I believe in God. So I spoke. That's all I I believe in God. So I spoke. All because I believe in Man, if you believe in God, you ought to be able to say something. 
You ought to be able to say something about Jesus Christ because you believe in God, because you understand who he is and what he's done for you. He said, man, I believe in God. And this psalmist, when he wrote this, why Paul put it here, was going through some things. And he said, I believe in God, and even though I'm going through some things, I'm going to still speak. I'm going to still speak. I think Brother Godly talked about that a couple weeks ago. You got to watch what you say out your mouth. And you know, because the words of your mouth can either speak blessings or cursing. And so he said, look, I believe in God, and I'm going to still speak. I ain't going to doubt him. I'm going to hold on to my faith. I ain't going to quit. I'm going to speak. Even though the situation looked bleak, I'm going to still speak as if though I'm trusting God. Man, that's powerful. And he says, now look, we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us, going back to that resurrection theme from the last uh, book, will also raise us with Christ and present us to himself together with you. And so Paul now is going back reinforcing his belief in the resurrection. And because of that, he says, we have this confidence that, hey, when Jesus comes back, we're going to be raised with him. And again, that goes back to whether or not you can believe what the Bible says by faith, or do we believe other things that we read by faith. And so because of that, as Christians, we don't have to understand the resurrection. But man, we got to believe in it. And we got to hope for it. And we can't give up hope because it looked like it ain't going to happen in our lifetime. That's okay. I'm going to die with hope. Believe in that. And so sometimes, you know, just because certain things don't happen when we want it to happen, we got to always remember that God's timing is not always our timing. And because we measure things in exact time, 70 years, you know, finite, God deal with infinite. And so therefore, we can't put limits on him. We just have to trust him when it comes to his word. He said, now look at this. In verse 15, we're almost going to get to the end of it. He said, all of this is for your benefit. It ain't about him. He said, all this is for your benefit. Man, I'm going through, I've been perplexed, beat down, trampled on, you know, crushed, but not destroyed. All that for y'all, man. God, you know, if the Lord didn't call you, you definitely wouldn't go through that for somebody else. I mean, you, it just don't make sense to go through that all because somebody else called. you trying to get them saved. You, no, man, most of us, you got to have a serious call on your life to, to go through that for somebody else's benefit. And they, and they don't want to hear what you got to say, and they're lying on you. And you still say, oh, this is for your benefit. You know, sometimes we can say that to our kids. When you go through some things and make sacrifices, they don't understand. You say, oh, this is for your I'm working two jobs for you. It'll be different if I'm working two jobs and I keep everything. <laughs> but I'm working two jobs so you can eat. <laughs> so you can eat good. I'm working two jobs for you. And so sometimes when people don't understand that, we do things for our children for their benefit. But sometimes they look at it and say, oh, mom and dad just doing that because for them. No. If you weren't here, I could eat a whole lot better, dress a whole lot better. But because of you, I can't buy everything I want right now. I got to wait till y'all get up and get out and get, get to college. Now, once y'all gone, I can eat good. 
I can live good. I can dress better. But all that was for you. And see, what we got to see is that Paul said, man, look, there's some things that we got to understand that the Lord did for our benefit, not for his. He says, all of this is for your benefit. As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. So Paul was, Paul was saying, look, man, the whole intent is for this gospel to reach more people. I'm going through all this so that gospel gets further and further out there. And as it gets further and further out there, there will be more people giving God thanks. There will be more thanksgiving coming. And the more it comes, the more God is glorified. That's why we have to go through these things in our natural bodies so that others will see how we handle situations. And as they see how we deal with certain situations, then they will want to say, hey, I want some of that that major guy. But when they see us going, being perplexed and, and, and losing our mind, they're going to figure, okay, if Jesus can't help you through your perplexity, why am I going to join his team? I don't want to be like, man, you acting just like that. Yeah, I, I'm puzzled, but look here, I'm still in the fight. I, you know, I, I haven't just lost my mind, totally just gave up. I'm still in the fight. And people got to see that in us because we're the only Bible that some people are going to read. And if we don't walk around and carry ourselves like we believe what we read and what we've been taught, then when people are looking for an example, they ain't going to see Jesus. They ain't going to see Paul. They're going to see you. And how you present yourself when you are perplexed, when you are crushed down, is going to give them hope to say, hey, if Major can do it, I can do that too. That's why I tell people all the time, man, you got to live a certain way before your children. You, you got to live in a confident way for your children so they, they ought to believe that mom and dad can just do anything because that's how you present yourself when you're with them. So they come up believing that. And then when you tell them that strength is not yours, but it's the Lord's, then they'll want to believe that if, if he did it for you, he can do it for me. So he wants this thing to be renewed every day. He says, now look, for our present troubles, he ain't denying we go through, are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that is vastly outweigh, that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. In other words, what I'm going through now is just temporary. But the end result is what I'm going to gain is eternal. It's going to last forever. Then he ended up by saying, so don't look at the troubles we can see now. Don't focus on your issues all the time. Because if you stay focused on your issues all the time, they will run you crazy. They will perplex you. You better find something to get your mind off of your stuff and your issues, man. You got to let some of them things in your head go. I mean, if you focus on all, you focus on all the trouble, all the worries, men, all that, it look like, oh, man, look here. You're going to be unlawful. You better, you better start reading something, you know, thinking on these things, lovely, things that are true, things that are pure, things that are of a good report. Think on those things, not all the other things that's going to take you down. Because again, your, 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 your downfall a lot of times when it comes to perplexity is in your mind. In your mind. He says, so don't look at the troubles we can see. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we cannot 
that cannot be seen. He said, now look, for the things we now see will soon be gone. Everything that we see is, gonna, is perishable, won't last forever. But the things we cannot see, that's where faith come in and hope come in, on those things we cannot see. Because the things we can't see will last forever. Now, that don't make no sense, Major. <laughs> I'm telling you to focus on something you cannot see. Fix your gaze on a heaven that you cannot see. Because that heaven that you cannot see is going to last for. It's easy for me to say, fix your gaze on this earth. The building that you see, the cars that you see, they're real to you. But he's telling you they're not going to last for. And that's why it, it's important for our minds to be fixed on the things of God and so that we're not gazing at the things that we can, excuse me, <clears throat> we're not gazing at the things that we can see. Because the things that you can see, unsaved folk can see. You ain't no different from anybody else because everybody else can see what you can see. So your fix got to be engaged on something that you cannot see. That's why I say think on those things that are above. And as we think on those things that are above, then we won't get all caught up in the things that's going to perish. So what that'll do is change the way you look at material things. And I'm not knocking having nice material things, but they ain't going to last. So don't fall in love with them. They ain't going to last. And so when we fix our attention on things that's not going to last, when those things perish, then it, it causes our hope to be weakened because we're fixing on the wrong thing. And guess what? I'm a, we're going to see on Sunday, man. The devil know that, man. He know that. That's why he tempts us with things we can He ain't trying to tempt you with the, with the unseen. He, he wants to kill you and say, you can. He take Jesus up on him and say, look out. All, everything you can see. Man, all you got to do is bow down and worship me. And I'll give it to you. It's yours. Just take it. And that makes so much sense to our natural man, which is dying, instead of our spirit man, which say, hey, whatever he's showing me is only temporary. We're going to see more of that on Sunday. Amen. So that's what Paul was trying to get them to see tonight, man, is that, hey, God has put in this powerful message inside of ordinary clay pots. And that's what we are. And now we got to share this gospel with others so that there will be this great celebration when people start believing the truth of God's word. Amen. All right.